Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's a Monday morning edition of the program, and it is a great month of the year full of amazing feasts. Today is the feast of the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. And I thought that in the light of that spirit, I would have on the program Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel. Here we go. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. I didn't bring any association to that. I just thought, you know, (laughs) I have no idea. What did I mean by that? So we'll find out during the course of the program. (laughs) (laughs) Who plays what part here in in the whole story? Actually, it's great to be with you both on these Monday editions. Uh, folks love having on local priests, both from the Archdiocese of Seattle and the Diocese of Spokane, to help provide insight to uh, have uh, help folks live in accord with the fullness of our faith. We're going to do that today on the program. Be back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Today we are going to have a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Nagel. Given the day, I'd like to... Uh begin with Matthew 14, uh, verses 3 through 12. Now Herod had arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Although he wanted to kill him, he feared the people, for they regarded him as a prophet. But at a birthday celebration for Herod, The daughter of Herodias performed a dance before the guests and delighted Herod so much that he swore to give her whatever she might ask for. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on the platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and the guests who were present, he ordered that it be given, and he had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl, who took it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the corpse and buried him, and they went and told Jesus. Almighty Father, we ask your blessings upon us today that we might have the same sense of justice as John the Baptist, that we might be courageous in being different, however however the gospel calls us to be in comparison to the world around us. Um, So again, uh, through his intercession of the intercession of John, the precursor, the forerunner, that we might be truly those prophets in, in the world today. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Nagel. So, Father Nagel and Father Lewis, here we are. It's, uh, it's a beautiful feast day today, and I've got a couple of initi- initiating questions here. Now, one, Father Nagel, Father Lewis already answered. Oh, really? You missed the program. You missed the program a couple weeks ago, and... Uh, Father Lewis, without any preparation, was able to just hit a home run. Oh, so, wow. I'm feeling tr- <laughs> pressure right feeling, now. Feeling the pre- you're feeling a little bit like uh, John the Baptist right now? John the Baptist that- was, was calm and cool. <laughs> I'm feeling a little nervous. Okay, so here it is. I, I, I kind of alluded to the question in the, uh, in the opening comment, and uh, you, you may not have caught it, but it might have got you thinking. So I, I was in a... In a Subconscious way to you, I was uh, preparing you for the question, and that is this, is that I mentioned that the month of August is an amazing month for feasts, feast days of saints. And the question I asked Father Lewis was, what is your favorite month of the year when it comes to feast days? Because mine is August. And 
because uh, you know it, so many great saints and different feast days are part of different months. Um, and Father Father Lewis is like, I got this. I got what, remember what you said, Father Lewis. You better remember. <laughs> I think I said May. Yeah, you, you said October. Oh well, October is a good one too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking Feast of Our Lady is where I go to. I think you said October, and then you said May. I think those were the two months that you went to. So we kind of gave you gave you a little bit of grace there to to have you go. So much for hitting a home run. I think think you fouled off that picture, (laughs) Father Lewis. And all of this is just a way to give Father Nagel some more time to figure out if you didn't have. Do you have one? Is there a month that you look to and you're like, yes, I can't wait for this feast? Maybe it's the dedication of what happens that month. But uh, is there a month that is particularly um, well, like your favorite? You know, it's going to sound, it sounds going to sound cheap on my part. I have always liked uh, October because of the little flower, uh, Francis, Teresa of Avila, uh, who are biggies in my, in my life. So, uh, and plus I think part of it is I kind of like October as a month. And so maybe there's a little bit of overlap there. Um, but I, and May would have been good too, because I like uh, Bede, uh, Gregory the Seventh, Philip Neary, um, so and the May Marian uh, atmospheres too. So again, I kind of I don't mean to be someone who's just following in Father Lewis's footsteps, but those would be the f- October would have been my first month I would have chosen, and then really? October probably would have been. Um, I mean, I, I mean October first and then May May second. That probably would have been my order too. And I, I don't, I don't think I'm just trying to copy that. Priestly vocation. <laughs> I've never seen that in a book anywhere, but maybe a. A sign of priestly vocation is that your favorite months of the year for feast days are October and I, May. I'm not arguing for any objective uh, <laughs> criteria there at all. It's, 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 um, there's great saints every month. Okay, so here's my second question, and I'm building off of a theme or a question that I had asked Father Lewis, but I'm going to change the way I asked it. And this has to do with the saints, um, because this month, uh, is filled with amazing feast days, right? So today is the feast of the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. Yesterday was the feast of St. Augustine. Tomorrow's the feast of St. John Jugan, someone who's lesser known, but yeah. did amazing work in the 19th century. Um, earlier, well, uh, we're recording this on Friday. Yesterday was the feast of St. Bartholomew. Mm-hmm. And so just it, it's just filled. You just like pick a week, pick a day, and you just hit some amazing saints. Anyways, um, I... Father, I, I'm not sure you you're familiar with the uh, the traveling reliquary uh, uh, ministry of this priest. I don't know where he's from, but uh, he travels around and he sets up all these tables with all of these uh, saints' first class relics on them. You're, you're pretty familiar with that. I have heard of it. You've heard I've of it. never okay. personally experienced it. Well, and Father Lewis, that was the same for you. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to give you guys uh, a chance. You can pick. You can design your own table. Okay, so you get, you get to design a table. If you could come into contact with six saints, oh. six first-class relics, um, what saints do you put on that table? Because I, I remember just going around through the... And you can't say, I want a reliquary with all 12 apostles. Okay. <laughs> so they had one of those. They had one of those at the thing, which is pretty cool. But if you could only pick, like, okay, I could see six first-class relics of saints, what's, who, who would be the six saints that I would have? All right, Father Lewis, I'm going to put you on the, on the line first here. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, well, my criteria for choosing the six saints, um, if it's for display for the folks, um, for, the, uh, for the veneration of the faithful, I might try to choose six that kind of represent a cross-section of different vocations and walks of life in different eras in history. You are very holy, Father. I, I was try. just thinking personal. I was just thinking like, <laughs> I was just thinking man, personal if I too. can come into contact yeah. to 
I wanted I want St. Bonaventure. Yeah. I want St. Thomas Aquinas. I want St. Francis Xavier. I mean, it's just like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I know who I want. Yeah. So who do you want, Father? Personally, forget the I'll forget my forget people. The pastoral attitude. <laughs> get the holy stance of I'm I'm pouring my life out for my okay. people. Come if on. I, if I'm gonna be totally selfish, okay, I'll go that route. Uh um, well, I'll just uh, name my, my favorite saints. I would love to see their relics in one place. Uh, St. Philip Neri would be one. Um, St. Thomas Beckett uh, and St. Thomas More are two of my other... Mm. You know, the, you know, wow, you're a reformer capital. guy here. Yeah, English martyrs as well. And, um, and um, one of my favorite uh, female saints is um, uh, St. Therese. I would, I would have her on that table. And so what am I at to? Four right now. Um, Saint John Vianney, you got to have Saint John Vianney there if you're a priest, uh, of course. And and um, let's see, who would be a fifth one then? Let's see. You no, know, you've I've already I've, had five. You, you're up to oh, my sixth one. Yeah, my sixth one. Sixth okay. One. Um, you know, I've I've uh, I've appreciated the the sample of suffering motherhood of Saint Monica. I would like to see her represented there too. So wow, uh, that's just off the top of my head. If I get more thought, it'd be a different six. You know, an hour from now. But oh, that's so um, interesting. I like I, I never would have gone to Saint Thomas Beckett. So why? why well, I never really, um, I knew about him, of course, but I never really uh, appreciated uh, uh, his, um, well, his, his witness until I saw the movie Beckett. Um, this would have been about, uh, well, maybe almost 10 years ago by now, but, but uh, and then exploring kind of the history of that. And it's, it's weird to me, it's strange, it's probably providential that you had a St. Thomas versus a King Henry uh, twice in the history of England, and in both instances, the Thomas was martyred, but great seedbed for for the growth of Christianity uh, following that, and um, and they they stood for for the rights of the church and the and the truth of the faith, both of them. So I see, you know, I see both of them as as heroes of the English church, and uh, that church has really had its ups and downs, and so um, I guess I have a soft spot for the. What do they call England? The Dowry of Our Lady, or something like that, I think. And and so, um, anyway, I think that's why both Thomases. Nice. I want to dig further into some of your other ones there, but let's go to Father Nagel first, and then we can. Uh, or Father Nagel, do you have any questions about Father Lewis's choices? No, if the, but the, one of them did spark something in me. Um, so, in terms of my six saint uh, relics. Hey, that we I... should try to guess them. Father Lewis, <laughs> do you think we could guess any of them? Well, he's, I think he, I've got two. He's oh. named three of them already in his October month, so I'm guessing St. Therese, no, St. Teresa, and St. I, I threw you a uh, curveball there. <laughs> yeah. So here's... Well, I would immediately say St. Uh, St. Teresa the Great, right? And uh, St. Uh, John of the Cross. Got to be two. Okay. And then you have to do the St. Bruno, the founder of the Carthusians, okay. since that was his uh, discernment. <laughs> or St. Bernard of Clairvaux. That'll uh -huh. be, I'm going to put him in there. And then I'm going to say St. Anselm. Okay. St. Anselm, because he was both, I don't know, he was sort of a historian, he was a philosopher, and he was a monk. So he had all these things going that I think were attractive to Father Nagel. Well, so there you go. On those qualities, he might choose Venerable Bede. So. Oh, there yeah, you go. Yeah. So do you want to toss anyone else out before Father Nagel corrects <laughs> us and just says, you guys are completely wrong, you got everything off. It's an interesting mix of being off and, and, and good insights. <laughs> I'm ready. What's your list? Okay, so I think the way I would do it, um, probably St. Saint, uh, Saint Therese, John Vianney, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, the Venerable Bede, and then uh, for me, if so if the English martyrs is also very important for me. I'd have Edmund Campion. Um, 
Wow. Because I would, I, I kind of relate more to the priests than the bishops in terms of the English martyrs. And I think of Campion as being a sort of just a typical experience of those um, kind of the brave witness of the sort of the hard, hunted martyr priest. So those would be, and Bede is also, um, it, it's, you know, what you said about Anselm probably is even more true for Bede for me. He's a very holy man, but he's a great historian um, from a time of period that's interesting to me. So anyway, um, those would probably be my six. Nice. Well, Lewis, you're flexing, man. You're flexing. I can't believe it. How did you get venerable Bede? Well, he mentioned it in the, earlier in the program. He mentioned why May would be his favorite month or his second favorite month, oh, and he mentioned him. Okay, you know? got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Ed, Ed Campion, uh, that's the surprise. Yeah, that, now, that's a good one. Was he a Jesuit? Yeah, he was so a Jesuit. Yeah. If, for, for the folks who aren't aware, Father uh, Nagel, tell us a little bit about Fa, uh, Father Campion and uh, well, he was that's a, a connection to him. Uh, he was the first Jesuit martyr, I think, of of England. But he he was a he was a very brilliant man, and he in fact. He had spoken in front of Queen Elizabeth, and she had offered him, uh, you know, status and a job with her um, in her court. But he had—he was a, a scholar from Oxford, and he was converted. He converted to the Catholic faith, and of course, it was against the law to be a Catholic priest during the Reformation at this point. And so he went over to the continent, and he studied there, became a. Um, a Jesuit priest and was one of the first Jesuits sent back to England for the mission of converting England and to to sustain the sort of the hidden life of Catholics um, in the sort of the catacombs of persecution in the late 1500s. And so he he also was a great writer and controversialist of the time. And so even in England, he would write some of these uh, documents that would be kind of what we call apologetics. And so everybody was wondering who this guy, they knew who he was because he's one of the most brilliant men in the kingdom. And they were trying to find him. Eventually they caught him. You know, he, he escaped sometimes. So it was kind of a, kind of a thrilling, uh, a thriller sort of situation life of trying to, trying to escape and trying to keep hidden. Eventually they caught him and uh, just, died, you know, again, tortured, but died a heroic death, um, being faithful to the, the church. And um, so again, one of those early martyrs that, was a a real boost to the the morale of the uh, Catholics of the time that were under oppression. So interesting, um, the way that different saints can connect to our lives, right? So I've already named like four of mine. You want to guess the last two? I've already named Aquinas, Bonaventure, Francis Xavier. Actually, I think those are the only three I named. Did I name? Oh yeah, let's see. What else? One might he? You already said Bonaventure. Um, yeah. I guess I'm more of a late medieval, late medievalist or high middle ages kind of guy. Religious guy. I just kind of gave it away. Oh. If you guys can't get the next one, <laughs> come on now. This is like Francis? easy. Francis? Not St. Francis. Dominic? Uh, not St. Dominic, but think Dominican. You have Thomas Aquinas already. Yeah, Albert the Great? No, no, no. You got to go further, further in. St. Catherine of Siena. Oh, yeah. Come on, yeah. guys. <laughs> like a monster right yes, there. I know. Boom, let's go. <laughs> uh, and then uh, St. Philip Neri, I would say. Uh-huh. And um, a sixth one, um, I I could kind of flail around trying to pick pick among the remaining, but I'd say St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. You know, his feast day is yesterday, but, um, you know, these... Some great theologians. Great yeah. theologian, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Kind of like, what's the call? What's the uh, where, where's the dynamic in someone's own life of faith in terms of what that would lead them into? So, folks.
folks, if that's a little exercise, you can do that with um, you maybe with your own family. Yeah, in, in your in your family, just say, hey, if you could, if we could get some first class relics uh, and and venerate them, what would be some saints that we'd want to have? And and that could open up a whole conversation about sacramentals, about connecting to the communion of saints. So that could be a really interesting conversation. I've got several other questions for you, good fathers, about saints, about relics, and um, uh, we'll we'll get to those in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel, and they are sort of facing the pressure. They are facing the, kind of on the feast of the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. You're not getting Herod-like pressure. Come well, on, I'm, Father, I'm right? feeling a little bit like Edmund Campion here, under <laughs> under questioning by the uh, yes. Star Chamber, but that's, yeah, that's all right. right. If you're if you're in God's grace, you thank Him for it. If you're not, you ask that He put you there. Right? Yeah. Who said that? Come on. Uh, <laughs> I, that was a paraphrase. It wasn't an exact quote, but it was a, a young lady who was being pressured or questioned under duress by a bunch of bishops. Come on, who Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. Uh, let's go. Right? Are you in God's grace? Right? That was the trick. Mm -hmm. One of the trick traps, theological traps that she was in. Okay. Next question: um, Have either of you been entrusted with a first-class relic? I have not. I um. I desperately want one. I'm, I, we're building a, we're doing a sanctuary renewal at our parish and complete with a new altar and, and um, I'm on the hunt for a, a first class relic and a particular one that uh, a priest friend of mine here, we, we may um, have to take a special trip to Rome and pursue it, but we would like to have St. John the Apostle as our relic for our altar since he was entrusted with Our Lady for the rest of, of her time on earth and we are St. Mary Parish and I think there would be a, a really interesting apostolic connection with um, with our church, with the grander scheme of the church's mission, and um, but you know, pickers can't be choosers. Where do you go for that? Like, is there like a warehouse of relics, and you go in and say, "Can I check one out?" I right? have, and I have no idea, do, frankly. Get, why go to Rome? Yeah. Like, where do you go? Well, my my priest friend is uh, here in Spokane. He he studied in Rome, and so he I think he must have connections. He's or something. in the know. Yeah. He's in the know. So I'm <laughs> trusting him on this one. So I, I had a priest friend, a classmate who studied in Rome as well, and. He got to be in the know. So for ordination present, actually, I, don't th I think it was, was it ordination? It was after. Um, but a reliquary, uh, a cross that had, one. if you've seen, it's kind of, if you've seen these, they kind of unscrew on the top and they kind of slide. It's like this secret compartment in this, this, this cross that you can either wear around your neck or not. Um, but in that reliquary cross, there was uh, first-class relics of uh, John Vianney, Teresa of Avila, and Teresa de Sue. So I have first-class relics for those three in this reliquary uh, cross, as well as somebody entrusted me. And, and, and this one's, I, this happened when I was out in uh, the Olympic Peninsula. Somebody had been given uh, this relic by a Monsignor in Arizona. It's a long story, but she didn't know what to do with it. Uh, I think she was on her kind of last legs and was uh, going to be going to a nursing home or something. She didn't, it, I know the whole story, but there was papers. So she did hand over the, the Latin papers with it of a little teeny little sliver of the true cross. Um, so I have that in this reliquary cross too. Again, I don't know the province of that other than the story. And there, again, there, there are papers that come with this. So um, those are my, uh, there's papers for both those. So those are my relics that I keep. So I raise this question because it's one of my, embarrassments or points of shame in my life 
When I entered the seminary as a 19-year-old, a priest entrusted me with the relic of St. John Neumann, the Bishop of mm. Philadelphia. And was he the first American that was canonized a saint? He has some first connected to it. First, first male. The first, first male. First male, yeah. Okay. I think uh, Elizabeth Ann Seaton was, was canonized before him, I think. Okay. So, um, so I was entrusted with that, and I... Um, you know, there's this sense of you're supposed to be a caretaker, right? A steward, a custodian of 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 a relic, and and so in the seminary in in Boston, I kept it in a place of honor in this in my room in the seminary and this sort of thing. And then when I went to Rome, I packed it up, and when I got to Rome, it ended up in in like the top drawer of my desk, and and then it just sat there for the for the years I was in Rome, and then it. Ended up, every once in a while, I say, oh, I should do something with this. I, I should really, and long story short, I lost it. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no is right. St. <laughs> John Neumann is going to be like extra purgatory for you, buddy. <laughs> He's going to ask some questions. Terrible. That is a terrible thing. So I don't know what happened to my St. John. I told this to my son, John Mark. He was mortified. Yeah. He was like, what? You had a first class relic? You had a bone of a saint? You, you did what? <laughs> like a... Sorry, man. Just my, my stock went down. My dad's stock, like Catholic dad stock, went down. Yeah. But that was the only relic, and maybe that's why I've uh, the Lord has said no more, no more for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, no more, no more saints relics for you if you're going to do that. So you cannot be trusted with small matters. I so. know, I know. <laughs> Dang, maybe I would have had like a Saint Joseph one coming my way, and just completely, ugh, darn it. So how does someone, uh, last question on this one, and then I want to move into other saint questions. How does someone, um, I, I use that concept of being a custodian and stuff like that. Can you go buy a relic? What, what's that all about? You can't buy a relic. Well, I mean, you can, I suppose, but you ought not to. It's a, it's a form of simony, I believe. You're buying and selling blessed things and, and religious privileges and things. Now, it's interesting, I suppose, if you find something that has a relic in it, what they're selling, quote unquote, might be the reliquary or whatever else, but but I don't believe you can buy one. Now, what's interesting is I, I've heard of some people that would just every now and again go to eBay or yard sales or something like this, and then they will find these things. In fact, I, a person of mine found one, kind of like a cross you were describing, Father Nagel. They came, and it was like this kind of crucifix that you can wear, and it was very old, and they like found it at a yard sale, and then they found that it was, it was actually connected with a hinge, so if you kind of yes. uh, pull it, and then inside is a small relic of the true cross. And, at the, and there was like a, one of those little uh, paper things that they kind of include with some of those relics to, to indicate this. And so he, he purchased a relic, and, uh, but he didn't know it at the time. It wasn't like he was trying to gain favors. But I, I call that rescuing relics if you find them in yard sales and things. But uh, yeah. There's a guy who, um, I don't remember his name, but his ministry was, he had money. He would go and he would monitor online sites for relics for sale. And um, it wouldn't just be individuals, but there were these antique stores uh -huh. that come into like big amounts of, of like religious goods from churches that were right. closing and all of this. And he would just buy all the relics. He'd just buy them all and, um, and then find proper homes for them. So it was not an attempt to sort of build up, you know, the warehouse of saints in his yard. It was he was trying to rescue saints. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rescue relics. So very interesting. I do know. Well, I don't. I have heard, but in Rome, that there is um, religious order of women who they do prepare and and give away as opposed to sell relics 
to pastors and et cetera uh, for their churches. And, you know, how you go about getting those, I, again, it hasn't been my personal experience, but I think that's how some of these, you know, get distribute, distributed some ways, but I don't know the details. All right, so next question. I'm going to talk about um, non-saints. All right. Are there any non-saints that you regularly turn to, or maybe for a period of time in your life, turn to as intercessors? Hmm. Um, I can't think of anyone regularly, but I do remember a very um, powerful, um, a powerful moment when I did. And w- when I was pastor in Chuila, so this was a number of years ago, um, six or seven, um, one of my parishioners' adult son, who had been an electrician, was on a job in one of the um, uh, buildings downtown Spokane. And it was getting onto lunch break, and, um, and he was on a ladder doing something with the lights um, and the wiring, and his, and his partner was down below stabilizing the ladder. They were just going to finish this thing, and, and they weren't rushing or anything as far as I know, but nonetheless, something went haywire, and he connected, he connected the circuit himself, his body. He grounded the, the electricity, and so how many hundreds of volts or whatever passed through his body, and he fell off the ladder, and there were several ways he should be dead. The electricity, the fall on his head, the fact that he, he was given CPR and all that till the ambulance arrived 10 minutes later, but he was not getting much oxygen to his brain. And so for all this, he should be dead or at least brain dead. And, um, and he's not. He's not all there. I don't know if he'll be able to work for the rest of his life, but he, had, he did have to lose a finger that connected the circuit. Uh, but otherwise, physically, he's fine. But I was telling his parents, let's pray for, and I just called to mind all of the medical saints that I could think of for their intercession, St. Raphael, St. Cosmas, and Damien, um, um, I'm probably missing some that I uh, rec- recommended. And then it occurred to me, maybe we should pray for the intercession of Mother Joseph, who is a sister of Providence, mother of Providence, who uh, founded Sacred Heart Hospital here in Spokane. And, um, and her, she's pretty famous, at least in our part of the state, and um, she's uh, represented in, the, in Congress in their Hall of, Hall of Fame, Hall of Memorial, and, and she, a bust of her is representing our state over in, in Washington, D.C., and, but she's not on the path to sainthood. But I thought, how awesome would it be if, if her intercession led to something? And so anyway, I, I encouraged her appealing to her intercession for this moment. Nice. I don't think, no, I, I honestly, I can't think of anybody um, that, I, that I turn to regularly like that. I, I just can't think of anyone. So for years, I would ask for the intercession of C.S. Lewis. Oh. Mm. And... You know, good reason. Not not a lot of Anglicans are believing in the communion of saints and intercession of saints. I'm like, hey man, I got him. I got him pretty by myself here. Not, but I'm like, oh, he's really popular. So there's probably a lot of Catholics like me who are. <laughs> I asked G.K. Chesterton for years to pray for me, and then there were um, there were some specific um, there call them Pentecostals um, individuals that were particularly anointed by God with gifts of healing. Like they were in their time, and this is typically in the 1900s in America, um, these holy sort of uh, uh, barnstormers that would go around and preach and pray with people, and there would be these incredible miracles coming from these people's lives. And so I would ask them to pray for me, uh, thinking that, hey, you guys definitely have no one praying for you, <laughs> and you definitely have some time on your hands there to, to turn to those who are like asking specifically for your, I, I don't know, does that work? Is that magic? Am I, am I falling into kind of uh, overly calculating how God uh, works with intercession, or was it an inspiration? 
Maybe it's an inspiration. I mean, how how do we get call it an inspiration? Don't yeah. call it sin. Call yeah. it an inspiration. Right? <laughs> how do we get these sins? You know, their 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 presence in the in the presence of God in heaven is is confirmed for us and verified for us when our interse- um, our requests, our petitions for their intercession are are granted. Right. That's one huge sign that that God has answered their prayers. Right. So the saints got to come from somewhere. And yes. If it's not martyrdom, it's something else. <laughs> so uh, next question: Have you ever met someone that? was extraordinarily blessed, like mystically gifted, or someone that you said, that person is probably going to be canonized a saint, or my sense is, that's a saint right there. Well, I know many such people. I don't want to name them because they're probably (laughs) listening. (laughs) Go ahead, Father. If you're going to talk about it, they probably will be canonized. I I met John Paul II um, before he was, and I, I certainly thought that at the time, similarly with Benedict XVI. Um, meeting him, I, I think I, I could see that happening as well. In terms of others, though, I'm trying to think if there's, you know, again, I think I've met certainly very holy people, but if the, the, the idea is, but, and they're going to be officially, you know, on the road at some point, um, I'm not sure if I can think of anybody else who I have that kind of confidence uh, in. Have you met anybody mystically gifted like um, a stigmatist? I have not, but uh, I had a parishioner one time now, got to take this with a huge grain of salt. She was in her later years, who knows if maybe the early stages of, you know, sweet dementia were settling in, but she told me when I arrived, you're going to be a bishop one day, she said to me, and I'm like, don't curse me like that, and she was adamant. She said, you're going to be a bishop one day, you're going to be 53. And then I thought, okay, years later, I'm, I'm moving now, and she's definitely getting older, and she said, remember what I told you? You're going to be a bishop at 53. She remembered that. She told me. She remembered the year. And I'm like, so I hope she's wrong. I hope she's just kind of crazy. Um, but you know, there was a there was a, a, a lay person in our diocese um, that he just exuded holiness wherever he went. And now he's passed away. He had a, a, a brain tumor, I think. But uh, I never really thought of it. I knew him personally, and just a, a holy man and delightful man. And then some parishioners of mine, a previous assignment, also knew him, and he was inspirational for them to come and become Catholic, and the wife of this family is absolutely convinced that he is a saint and wants to find out how do you start someone's cause. And uh, so anyway, I mean, that would be pretty awesome. Um, I think the chances are a little small, but, um, but anyway, so there's others that agree that, you know, we saw something in him that's worth imitating in terms of holiness and, and virtue. I have I've known people who I think just have received and experienced um, great spiritual gifts, um, but again the idea that they would be canonized, um, you know, uh, not necessarily. But I I, I have seen um, again people who seem to have um, certainly reached a deep relationship with Jesus. So I I th- I've. Told, I think, Father Nagel, you've probably heard this, that I, I know a stigmatist. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that, Father Lewis? No. Yeah, so I, in fact, I took Carrie on like one of our first dates to go see the stigmatist. Why not? That's, like, everybody does that on. for their second date. Why not? <laughs> like, that's, that's like flexing Catholic stuff, right? Come on, yeah. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to introduce you to Try to impress your new girlfriend by saying, <laughs> I know a stigmatist. That's right. Yep. And then, then I said, lay hands on her and say a prayer. I want to hear what comes out of it. I want to see what kind of, and I did, actually. Um, but she, uh, her name is Bernadette Sear. And do you remember that story, Father Nagel, about that idea that uh, sting, the stigmata is a grace that's handed on? No, I don't remember that. Okay, so here's the story, and, and she told it. The story is that 
um, there was a priest who came to visit her and told, recounted this story. This priest came from France. This priest knew a stigmatist named uh, Marthe Robin. I don't know if you've heard of her. She was sort of a victim soul. You read about her life, and her, as her life went on, she just suffered more and more and more. Well, she had the stigmata, and towards the end of her life, these priests came and visited her, and she said to the priest, she said that when I die, my stigmata is going to be handed on to a woman in Maine. She's going to receive the gift that I have right now. So this is like this idea that it gets handed on. And she said, go see her. And you'll, you'll see her when you arrive at her house. She'll be sitting down by the river. And you'll see, the way you'll know that you're in the right place is that there's a very large cross in her yard. Very, very, very large freestanding cross in her yard. And so years later, he went to the U.S., came to Maine, found out about this stigmatist, and sure enough, arrived at the house, saw the cross, and sure enough, she was there at the, uh, at the side of the river. What was striking was this. Um, if you were not struck enough, uh, was that when Mart Robin had this vision, the cross wasn't in the yard yet. The cross hadn't been put up <laughs> in the yard. So how, like, wow is that? Is that pretty cool or what? That is. It's kind of frightening. Yeah. <laughs> but in a good way. So this woman is one of the mystically gifted women that I've uh, been blessed to meet in the course of my like life in ministry. And the only reason I got to meet her was that um, the priest I went and worked for after I left the seminary was in charge of spiritual life and renewal in the Diocese of Manchester, New Hampshire, which was the whole state. And so he came in contact with some particularly um, gifted individuals, like mystically gifted. There was another one, Sister Alfred was her name. And um, the stories he had about her and the healings that she would be praying for stunning, stunning, stunning. Um, yeah, anyway, so one quick story. They were driving together to a healing service, and the road was snowy and icy. And as they took a turn, they went swerving into the other lane, and there was a car oncoming, and they were mm -hmm. gonna about to have a head-on collision. And Sister Alfred said, Mary's mantle, out loud. And he said he didn't know what happened after that, they found themselves on the other side of the car driving down the road. Hmm. He says he doesn't know how it happened, but from going head-on collision, she shouted Mary's mantle, and the next thing they know, they were around the car safely. Wow. And it wasn't because he turned the wheel. So it, it, he, and he was, he's a very like, sober-minded individual, not given to exaggeration at all. Wow. Um, so how wild is that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. last story. There was a, a woman named Betty Brennan. She uh, was, had incredible gift of discernment. Discernment. And so much so that bishops would bring her in to teach them about how to discern spirits in, in cases of exorcism and demonic possession. So she would work hand in hand with priests in um, cases of exorcism. And um, I went, I had a chance to go visit her in her home and she would do these, like she would pray with you and then share insights, like in, in dialogue, and then she'd say, here's what I'm sensing. Well, while we were there <laughs> praying and talking, all of a sudden, in the fireplace, there, there, were, there, were, there was wood. 
a fire lit. Wow. <laughs> what? I'm like, what is that? Mm. And she said, oh, well, last night we had a fire in the fireplace. But this is like the next day in the afternoon. And, and the logs lit on fire. Wow. I'm like, what is that? Okay, so later I had a chance to pray with her at a, uh, at a healing service. And so I was her prayer partner. Talk about being intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> so we were coming up. The kid, all of a sudden, all these kids came up to be prayed with, right? And uh, people would come up, and she would be, we'd pray with the guy, and all of a sudden, she'd whisper in the guy's ear, and then the guy would go off to confession. <laughs> uh, wow. And so, go, go, do that. And she'd whisper, and she's like, okay. And he'd, like, he'd go in the confession and come back. Well, all these kids lined up, one after the other, to be prayed with. And um, this one kid came up, and she said, um, called over the youth minister and said, um, he's not baptized, is he? And, and, she, and he's like, well, no, he's not. How did you know? And she said, well, it's obvious. And I'm like, uh, and she looked at me like, yeah, right? And I said, oh, well, of course it's obvious. <laughs> yeah, he's not anybody, baptized. Anybody can see that. <laughs> she, what? Of course, it's just so it's clear. Nothing could be clearer. And... Uh, I have a lot of Betty Brennan stories of chances to be able to be with her and praying with folks. I mean, amazing. But those are some particularly like mystically gifted people that I've been blessed to have kind of contact with in the course of my in the course of my life. So anyway, so there you go. There's a my flexing mystical gift relationships. You are. There we go. <laughs> kind of name dropping if you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're actually up against a break. When we come back. I've got more questions for our good fathers on this Feast of the Martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran, and we're on the introduction to the program. <laughs> ah, we're doing well. We haven't even reached question one yet. To the, we haven't even started to talk about the, the feast day today of the Martyrdom of St. John, and I don't think we're going to ever get to St. Augustine in the, in the time that we have. Okay, next question. Next question is about, um, is there anyone that you believe will one day be a saint that is not yet now a saint. Uh, I know there are a couple. Like, I had a particular devotion to Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity mm, yeah. when she was blessed. Just loved her prayer to the Trinity, and uh, was someone gave me a book about her life and her spirituality, and I was just blown away, and I just had a great love for Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. So when she was made a saint, it was so beautiful and meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of folks, Sister Faustina... Right, yeah. you remember when she was still called Sister Faustina? Mm-hmm. Now Saint Faustina. Now no one calls her Sister Faustina. Everyone's Saint Faustina because she was made a saint uh, for the Divine Mercy message with someone else. I would say that was connected to my life less so than Blessed Elizabeth. But when she was made a saint, is, is, are there any uh, individuals now that you have like a, an affection for, or you have a, a conviction about that you believe one day will be? become a saint someone who's already passed away yeah um i i hope that um pope Pius XII will be canonized within my lifetime and the reason why i don't have necessarily a particular veneration for him except that you know the man the man's reputation has been profoundly and disgustingly smeared being called hitler's pope and all the rest of this and and more and more of the actual truth coming to light that you know a lot of that was was communist propaganda and, and all the rest and and as the truth comes to light you know and, and as people recognize what he actually did during World War II, in fact it might be swinging the other way too hard like there's evidence that he was actually contributing somehow to the possible assassination of Hitler and I'm not sure that 
um, that's grounds for canonization. You don't want to lead with that. <laughs> I know, but yeah. but uh, you know, anyway, if if they can iron all that out, then I think it would be first of all. I mean, the reason for his canonization is because we recognize that he is in heaven um, in the presence of God. But uh, I think it would be a, a tremendous um, um, a tremendous um, uh, vindication of all that he has suffered for the uh, for the life of the church, especially some some of the darkest times of world history. So I guess uh, he'd be just immediately now thinking about it, um, um, he would be near the top of my list for, for the question you ask. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I, and I think if I thought long enough, I probably would come up with some. But I, I, right now, I can't off the top I'm going to give head. you guys some names, fathers, and you're okay. going to say, well, of course. Why wouldn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah, that's probably, so, that's probably Archbishop it. Fulton Sheen. Oh, yeah, of course. See? Look at you. I mean, so what you just said. Well, I was well, thinking about him. except he's supposed to be beatified by now, and, and that was all delayed. But yeah, yeah that's... You know, I, and I really have appreciated some of his writings, et cetera. Um, I, I actually haven't watched his TV shows. Maybe I should, but I know some a priest who knew him somewhat, and and he, you know, again, he he, he didn't have this. He didn't have a take on him of of, of great holiness. Not, not that it was bad either, but but just um, great priest, um, good good communicator. He, he would not have thought of him as as holy. Uh, saintly in that s- certain sense, and so that always maybe has colored my perception. I don't have a, a, a personal knowledge of him, but I, I they'll be interesting because right now it's it's all kind of in the in the limbo limbo state. So um, maybe it could be. What about um, now? This is just for me. Just like I, it's probably not going to happen. But um, say, as Saint Thomas Akempis, the writer of the Imitation of Christ. Yeah. Um. It uh, seemed a crime to me that he hasn't been yet, but I don't know what else is known about his life, but what a remarkable uh, work of spirituality and, and, and unholiness. I, I, yeah. I would think that he would have, that would have happened by now if it was going to happen. Um, but yeah, I'm, again, you, I hear rumors, but, you know, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, so, I'm tough. I'm a tough case. <laughs> you ought to be the uh, what do they used to have the, uh, the devil's, devil's advocate. advocate. Yeah, that's, that's what me. that's your job. Yeah, yeah. I, we need it's that. The historian, stuff. the skeptical historian in me. But go ahead. <laughs> who, 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 who else do you got? All yeah. right, I just popped her on the screen. Come on, how do you guys not think of her? I did. I just thought of Pope Pius earlier. Did you really, <laughs> Sister Lucia? Yeah, of Fatima. Yeah, yeah, I can see that certainly. I I, I think that's kind of a like if I had to, if that's I was a slam dunk. Hand, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's pretty much a slam dunk right yeah. there. Yeah, if if the other two are, uh, yeah, I can see that happening. So, I'm kind of surprised that Blessed Miguel Augustine Pro hasn't outright been canonized yet, given that other um, saints yeah, and true. martyrs of the uh, Cristeros War, like you know, you asked earlier who would one of my favorite saints be. It occurred to me after I listed my six, the seventh would be Saint Jose Sanchez del Rio, who was the 12 year old boy who was martyred. In the midst of all that, and he is canonized a saint. Pope Francis canonized him, and his feast day is sometime in uh, February, I believe. Uh, so, so many others have been canonized, but the one who is like the 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 uh, the, the flagship martyr of that whole movement hasn't been yet. So that surprises me. Well, and you think that martyrs get sort of a, an easier like ticket, yeah? Right? Because if they're willing to make that ultimate sacrifice, then they would be someone that even if they don't carry with them some of the other factors, the, the act of martyrdom sort of clears the path. Yeah. Well, it does clear path to beatitude. Uh, yeah. I mean, to become um, blessed. Become beatified, yeah. It puts you on the fast track for that, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, good. Um, anyone else, Father Nagel, that you can think of? No, like I said, when you when you raise them up, <laughs> Lucia is. I would definitely say, yeah, she she would be uh, an obvious one that I would agree with. But not, I, and if, you, if probably the people out there have other names they bring forward, and I would say yes, but I, I can't think of them right now. Yeah, there are some lesser folks that I, I'm not even going to bring up that uh, you know they were very inspirational in their time and, and had a, an important impact in their time, but. I'm not as convinced that they're gonna they're gonna be saints one day. So, all right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're gonna finally get to Saint John the Baptist. Unless I think of another question. <laughs> back in a minute with more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. If you enjoy these programs, I do encourage you to go and sign up for the podcast, the Dr. Tom Curran Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to Apple Podcasts or you can go there by just going to mycatholicfaith.org. You'll be able to click on this program and all of the other wonderful programs that we are doing these days. I'm interviewing a lot of folks, authors of books these days. If you enjoy those interviews, please go to Apple Podcasts or mycatholicfaith.org, and you'll be able to uh, connect in with um, many of these uh, these authors and the books that they um, they've they, I've had a chance to interview them on. There's one book I think, fathers, you guys would really really like a lot. It's by a guy named Joe Heschmeyer. He's a staff apologist at Catholic Answers. And the book is called The Early Church Was the Catholic Church. Huh. And it's fascinating. You'd love it, Father Nagel, from the historian perspective. How do you spell the last and name? Heschmeyer is S, I'm sorry, H-E-S-C-H-M-E-Y-E-R. The early church was the Catholic Church. Uh -huh. In fact, uh, this this would potentially be a, a great book club book. Oh yeah, that'd um, be good. Even though I I already talked about it with him, there's we barely covered the content of the book. And what he does is he says I'm going to limit myself to writings before the year 200, and I'm going to see what these early authors uh, and witnesses had to say about the um, about baptism, the Eucharist. The, uh, the hierarchical structure of the church, and the four Gospels, and therefore the inspired writings of, uh, of the early church. And so he focuses on Polycarp and Irenaeus, um, but is able to draw on other important witnesses in the early church, Clement of Rome and, and things like that, um, to be able to say, look, you know what you discover? That all of those things that Catholics believe, if you go all the way back to the beginning... And you say, okay, these, this is the, the time of the apostles in Christ. What did they believe immediately after that? Let's see where your beliefs have a basis. And let's see if our beliefs have a basis in the earliest witnesses and what they had to teach. That's a crucial era, I think, in Christian history for that apologetics because what a lot of non-Catholic Christians say is that you had the pure faith and then sometime around the year Con uh, Constantine, it got all warped and convoluted and made into what the Catholic Church is now. Uh, but these guys that teach Catholic teaching predate Constantine. So that's an incredibly um, important era and to study the Church Fathers for that reason. Yeah, That's great. I that, need to read it. And that's exactly why he does it like that. You know, He says, it's, I'm going to do this before Augustine, before Constantine. We're going to go look at the earliest witnesses and let's see... The, what are the bases? What are the bases for your belief? Yeah. So, yeah. that's just one of the books. Yeah. Um, but really, really very interesting. Um, so, 
let's focus in on the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. I'm going to start with you, Father Nagel, because I know that you have a particular devotion to St. John the Baptist. So as you can... Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so as you look at today's, the Feast of uh, the Martyrdom of St. John the Baptist, is, that, is, is there something meaningful that uh, is for you a way of like living that feast day or sensing a special connection with that saint? You know, I'm not sure anything super um, original, but I, I do think it's a great time to think about um, just giving witness to things that the culture says, oh, that's not really religious. You know, I think lots of the times when we're dealing with um, kind of the controversial issues of the day, whether it's about marriage or gender or reproduction or sexuality or whatever, oftentimes they think this has, you know, this is not, this this has to do with faith per se. And many Christians who don't agree with the church's teaching on these sort of uh, topics, they would say, okay, these aren't the, the main topics. This is this isn't that been important. Uh, we can disagree to disagree on this, and that's it's not a big deal. But John the Baptist, just in terms of a valid marriage and sexuality, he's, he's willing just to, to, you know, again, speak truth to the power. And again, that phrase gets used all sorts of ways, but this is what he was doing. He's saying, this is so important. Uh, do what you want to with me, you know, King, but I, you're in the wrong. So I do think that there's a, um, I don't know, a great witness there to to being able to speak uh, about these topics. And, and here's someone who's willing to take the, the take the price for it. So I think there there's something very contemporary about that. I kind of in in my um, mind uh, link him for for many of those reasons to uh, Saint Thomas More martyred for much the same reason. In fact, it came down to, in, in many re regards, to uh, what is marriage. And Thomas More would not, would not agree to, um, to the king overriding the church's judgment on the validity of his marriage, and, and would not agree to, therefore, the king being the head of the church. And, um, and he was being quiet and humble about it, um, unlike <laughs> John the Baptist, I suppose. But, but both were beheaded for something that, um, you know, that they were not going to, you know, in the view of the world, I suppose, so you disagree with this person's marriage, you're really, you're really willing to die for it, what business is it of yours? It's their marriage. Um, you know, that, that, that might be the, the surface uh, issue, but it comes down ultimately to what is truth, and, and, and truth, who is truth? Jesus Christ. And, and every aspect of truth participates in the person who is truth. So it doesn't matter how little we might think it is, but we stand up for the truth, we refuse to lie, refuse to participate in a lie, and, and, and because that's a reflection of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, um, what, what price is it to even give up our lives if we have to because, because God was glorified in that, who is of infinite value, and we get to participate in that infinity after the passage of death. But, but it's not a small thing after all. It's still an instance of truth, and Jesus is the truth. Nice. I love that. Well, and I hadn't really thought through that, the connection the way that you just did, Father Lewis, about... Um, we have two martyrs who gave up their lives in a way that was connected to sexual identity, sexual activity, sexual expression. And they stood up for the fullness of the Catholic truth, saying this is what leads to flourishing. This is what is, this is, what is real. This is what is correct. And this is what will lead to life. And um, it, it, we feel like we're far away from a time of martyrdom for holding up a belief in society. But it doesn't feel that quite as far away anymore with the, the issues of our day, whether it's the abortion issue, which 
thanks be to God, we have uh, the, the Dobbs decision overruling uh, Roe versus Wade. But you know, we have comprehensive sexuality education happening in public schools in the state of Washington. And unfortunately, it's bleeding into Catholic schools as well in terms of policies that particular schools are making. Um, and there's something really devastating about that. And it's easy just to get, go along mm -hmm. instead of stand up. So um, my hope is that a feast like today could be a feast that gives some backbone yeah. to parents and to, to um, institutional leaders, uh, to priests, to bishops, to take stands for the truth that sets free. Yeah. Yes. I can. Th I can imagine it might be. It's. It's pretty easy for me to sit here. And, and you have forty-five seconds okay. each. Okay. Uh, pretty. Pretty easy for me to sit here and, and say it's so easy to stand up for the truth like that. Uh, where the rubber meets the road is if I am, you know, please God or God forbid, either way, but put into that situation. I really hope that I can. Well, when you're a my, bishop. When, when I'm a bishop. How old are you? Ordered. How old are you? <laughs> Uh, that's not your business, Father. <laughs> he's, still, he's still got a good 10 52? years. More yeah, than 52? 10 years. Like, yeah, he's about 42. He's got yeah. a, I, but I, hope I, can, I hope I can back up my words with my actions if it should come to it. But um, Anyway, sorry. That's my time. <laughs> I think you've used up all of our time. I think no, no. You have, a, you have a 50 seconds, Father Nagel. Well, I do think that idea of the martyrdom not being so far away, I, at least I think that this, just the difference, just the the. Just the depth of difference of worldviews is just going deeper and deeper. And eventually, uh, what we call martyrdom will be seen as doing the good um, to others according to that way of looking at things. So I, I do think this is not a small thing. I think it's the, at the very heart of the disagreement between the divisions that we have in Western society. These issues are, the human person focused on these issues. This is what it's all about. And, and there'll never be a way... No, neither side will surrender. Yeah. Well, sobering words to finish today's program on. Uh, this uh, beautiful feast day, hopefully, we pray that it, uh, we'll draw from it the graces and inspiration we need to fulfill our call, even to the point of witnessing with our very lives. Father Lewis, Father Nagel, thanks so much for being with me today. God bless your day, everyone. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.